This is episode 36 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, AR is about to explode in retail. Downsizing the store. Automation is coming. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan. Jose, how are you today? I'm well. How are you doing, Todd? Good, Good morning, uh, everyone. Yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a couple of weeks. We kind of got off our schedule a little bit here, um, and of course, we choose the day after Halloween to record. And I've got I got a little little little, little Halloween hangover, you know, little uh, <laughs> little, little mix of uh, candy and bourbon Halloween hangover, maybe. I have a chocolate hangover. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's all right. Such is life. And it's Wednesday. Well, let, you know what? Let's dig in. We don't want to we don't want to waste too much time here, but let's let's move on to some of these some of these topics. We missed a couple big things in the past couple of weeks, but I think we're going to rehash one of the things we wanted to talk about and we sort of hinted to it in the in in the list of things that we're going to talk about just a few minutes ago. Um, but let's 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 first touch on AR. Let's talk about augmented reality. We this must be the fourth time this has come up, at least for us. Jose, it must have come up several times. I think we always have it in the context of VR too. So this yeah, is not really an so. AR versus VR conversation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, some of the some of the more recent news. Uh, there's an article on Forbes that was talking about uh, how augmented reality is going to transform retail and specifically fashion they're talking about so i thought that was i thought that was interesting that's what kind of caught my eye because we've been talking about augmented reality and just to review to everyone if you don't know the that term for something you're actually probably using every day or at least your kids are most likely using every day it's just being able to look through your phone through the lens through the eye that is your phone and see additional information on what your phone is looking at so this is uh this is in a very very common place used in applications like snapchat Right, so you're sitting there and you're making the goofy faces with the overlays, and um, that's essentially augmented reality. Uh, Pokemon Go, when you're looking around, you or your kids, and in the case of me, both um, are looking around on the street for one of those little guys, and they pop up on your screen. Yet they're nowhere to be found in reality. It's only through your device, right? So now that we got that out of the way, um, the developers, so the the big players in hardware like Apple and Google, for example, are bringing this capability to their hardware actually they're creating developer platforms they're creating actual pieces of hardware inside of their devices so what you might call chipsets or something like that but they're bringing that into their devices to better support this type of augmented reality which while it's also while it is hardware it's also machine learning it's also artificial intelligence there's a lot of activity happening in there in terms of um you know whether it's a google device or an apple device when you have your lens pointing at something, it is going through lots of computations to figure out what the heck you're looking at. So in a matter of seconds, it's able to do what honestly our brains can do faster, but it's able to dig through lots of other information we don't have access to. To be able to tell you more about what you're looking at, whether you're looking down the street at a bunch of cars, whether you're looking in a retailer down an aisle, you know, whether you're looking at a sweater to understand more about the sweater, it might tell you, it could tell you the... Um, when it was made, the fabric, maybe if there's any allergens in it, in terms of you know the fabric types, if they're you know um, the previous previous prices, where else it might be on sale, things like that, right? 
So, Jose, I'm sure you can think of ways that that could be valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to add what you're saying, right, as we were talking right before the show, it's interesting that this is almost like the modern catalog, right? It's a catalog that you yeah, physically exactly. don't have to carry. If anybody remembers any type of catalog, whether it's J. Crew, Sears, or even a phone book, right? So that's portable now. So let's start off with some statistics, and I'll, and I'll give you some thoughts as to where, where this might be useful, so or where it is useful. Yeah. So Google said uh, in a recent uh, survey that. 34% of users that they surveyed would use AR while shopping, and 61% said that they would prefer to shop stores that offer AR. So that, one, supports your point that this is growing and it's a trend. Uh, we'll see how it materializes. That's still up in the air. But ways that it could be used. Well, uh, companies like Sephora uh, are, are using this, and but the, let's go to their competitor. Uh, there have been 20 million downloads of L'Oreal's Makeup Genius app, right, where it lets right. AR users virtually try on beauty products uh, on their phones. And, of course, as I mentioned, Sephora, and then there are other uh, beauty companies that have followed suit. And they've been quite successful, right? And, and it seems that um, this seems to, to type of technology is working when you need to try things on or model things that are, aren't always easy to to, to see, right? So makeup is a natural because each, each person's skin is so unique that the colors, if you walk into, everyone knows about makeup except me, <laughs> since I, I only know about it, but I'm not a user. Um, Are you sure, Jose? Are you sure? I'm positive. All right. Positive. Okay. All right. Make it sure. Right. <laughs> I, I probably need makeup, but uh, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I don't wear makeup. <laughs> but if you look at the lipstick, if you walk into a Sephora or the... Uh, types of of blush or anything else. Oh my god! I, when I walk into Sephora uh, with my wife, it, it's it's pretty amazing, right? So how do you test all those? How do you exactly? How do you go do you, through the combinations? And there is <clears throat> there's there's a uh, oh boy, I wish I could remember the company name. Darn it. Well, anyway, there is essentially a company that has a kiosk, and um, they were at a recent event that uh, last year that I remember attending. I think you were there too, Jose. It was a WWD event, and um, they essentially oh, yeah. have a little kiosk yeah. where you walk up to it. You it's for makeup, and you can select whatever shade of whatever on your face, and it maps your face, and it maps where your eyes are. It knows exactly where to put the makeup and the different shades and the intensities, and you can see exactly what you would look like with it without sitting there in the chair, getting stuff painted all over your face, like you see when you, you, know, you walk through Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus or something. Exactly, exactly. And, and how would you use it in fashion What hmm. was your, your, your question? Yeah, well, the fashion thing. Let's hear about that. What do you think? Y yeah, well, you know, you could probably um, look at apparel and model it in 3D, right? And look all around it, especially the, the, the non-basic stuff. So let, let's um, skip the basic J. Crew items, for example. Right. And let's maybe take something uh, that's a little bit more elaborate. Think of the most like a woman's cocktail dress that you want to see what the back looks like um, because it's different from the front, mm -hmm. you could probably uh, kind of 3D it naturally. Mm -hmm. And that's what one one piece, and to your point, imagine taking a journey on your app where you see the back, the front, you could model it on yourself. So and you're talking like magic mirror type stuff here. Potentially. Yeah. The, all I mean, that's I what we've seen. We've seen that at... NRF show, the big show, there's companies that have done magic mirror 
for changing rooms in a way, right? So you can alter or at least see more about what you're trying on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But think about it on your phone, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you don't have to. Usually in the Magic Mirror, you kind of have to. Um, it's just bigger. Here it's, it's just portable. Right. Yeah. right? Here, here, you don't have to try. You don't have to be in a changing room. Here, you just scan it and it just does it for you. Right. And you know, we, hear, we hear a lot about from, uh, what is it? Rent the runway or just runway to store shelf or whatever the what's the term jose runway to i don't know but it's it's like oh. it's the concept of going from the runway to your hands like essentially uh there's always been oh. that you know this there's always been that gap of after you know a fashion show uh there's oh, sure. there's months that go by before it's it available is. they're shortening that time frame now but if you think about ar and how that could play in it that could ex that could make it nearly um instant where you know if you've got if you've got someone at a fashion show um, looking at the latest stuff that's walking down the aisle, your camera is up and it is showing you exactly the style, the available colors, everything you might need in your phone right there. And, uh, exactly. and you know, and that just, that shortens the, the, the time of which it would take to get that into your stores. Exactly. And to, to your point, I mean, it, it has many names that that's probably, uh, the, the, the case there, but it, it's like direct to consumer is effectively right what you're talking about. Right. And so what you're saying too. think about this. So there's another thing that you could do is maybe a holographic version of a runway show. Right. To watch at home using your smartphones. Hmm. And that, that's actually really did happen. <clears throat> so there's th this agency in in the UK that um, actually uh, created this. So it's a holographic version of a fashion show. That's pretty cool. That, that's very sci-fi. Cool. It is. It is. Holographic, um, it seems to be, you know, a little bit more immature than AR at this point. But, you know, even at the shop.org, we saw <clears throat> we saw a essentially a holographic assistant that can be customized to, you know, to essentially like a Google assistant, but with a face and you can adjust the face and it's, it's much more visual and not as capable as Google assistant, but... It's the same idea that could potentially help shoppers in a mall, help them in the store, whatever, whatever. But all these things, and you know, AR is a, a lot more advanced than that at the moment in terms of accessibility and penetration in the market in general. I mean, AR in general is is we're saying it's about to explode because it really is about to explode if it hasn't already. And uh, they're forecasting. There's a firm called DigiCapital, and they're forecasting 900 million AR-enabled smartphones by the end of 2018 so a year from about a year from now it'll be 900 million so we're not that far off from 900 million right now but right. um that's a lot of devices but the question is do we all know what's in our hands right most people don't I and mean, we've got um the last generation of phones meaning the most recent iphones maybe the iphone 8 um, most likely the x or the 10 uh definitely the latest google pixels the latest lg phones the latest um, you know, phones from OnePlus, all these manufacturers are building in these um, pieces of hardware that will further extend those phones. They're offering kits to developers, meaning developers that have their own companies, developers at, you know, in the case of retailer, in the case of retailers, developers at the retailers that are creating their own apps can take advantage of this technology that Apple and Google and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, are, are putting out there. So this is a really exciting time and this is yeah. going to help kind of you know, we're always talking about, you know, this, this the word omni-channel, which I think everyone's annoyed by at this point. But this is really kind of paving that 
uh, that bridge across those two in a, in a really tangible way that the consumer can can feel now you know absolutely absolutely and and as you say this i'm thinking uh, for those of you that could remember i mean i know you could remember todd um the days of the pda right so this to me goes back to did you remember those personal digital assistants that people had where you could take notes and had contacts i love and those. it was i had a separate? dell one and i had a i had a palm pilot i had all yeah, those those were the best exactly those yeah so so think about those days, right? And the phone was separate. It was. Right? Yep. You'd have the yeah, that the device separate. That's right. Mm-hmm. And the camera was separate. Mm-hmm. Meaning that there literally were still cameras that were just their own things that mm-hmm. were not part of your phone. But in those days, the big thing was the big thing other than that, that technology, the palm, etc., was, you know what? One day, all of these things... And I'm going back now, so I'm going back to the mid-90s, roughly. Um, all of these things will come together as one, and that will be a big deal in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I remember that very clearly and distinctly. And this, what we're talking about, AR, has distinctly that flavor. And when you throw in the holographic components, when you throw in anything else that you can do with it, because now what we're really talking about with that palm to keep your contacts – uh, to keep the reminders, the camera, and the phone is really your cell phone, right? right? And and everything right now that we're talking about that's kind of like, oh my God, all these things coming together, I think it's going to be no different. It's just evolving right now. Yeah, it just depends on on how fast this technology uh, hits our daily lives, right? And then, and then, of course, on the business side, you know, in this case for retail, it's just that much easier for them to pick up on it. So if we're already seeing it in the games we play, in the social device, in the social apps we use, like Snapchat, in our vehicles now. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of augmented reality being built into our vehicles in the form of heads-up displays and, and sure. other types of, of data to provide us in a non-intrusive way while we're driving. All these things are going to make it so that it's second nature for us to use this, and it's not even going to be questioned soon. We won't even know. The fact that we're referring to it as AR right now is sort of ridiculous because no one's going to care what the name is soon. Like, they're not going to... Th- may not refer to it as AR. Like, you know, you're not going to find someone in a merchandising role at a retailer's, you know, <laughs> necessarily refer to it as AR. There's, there might be a proprietary name for it. There might be a term that's generally used for it. Who knows? I mean, in the case of right. <clears throat> Pokemon and Snapchat, sure, it's it, it's made AR more obvious to us, at least the capabilities of it. But I would think that many of the users don't really recognize the technical name for it or what the hell it's being labeled. So it's really a non-factor, exactly. but for us, it's a great thing to be able to, you know, point our finger to. So, so hey, Jose, let's move on from from that fun stuff. And I, I hate to because I love I could talk about that all day. Uh, it's nice and nerdy, <laughs> nice and nerdy. Uh, but let's let's move on to the to stores. And we've talked a little bit in the past about um, the evolution of stores, where they're going. Of course, we've just like everyone else in the media, we've been talking about the closing of stores, but. I think that story needs to kind of stop, you know, this this angle of, you know, the retail, retail apocalypse, the the stores closing, retail going away. It's just at this point, it's clickbait and fodder. And I get annoyed by um, sites that continuously post about this at this point, because there's a, there's a bigger angle to it that we're going to touch on here. Or at least I think you're going to touch on here. And it's about uh, adjusting the stores, not necessarily closing the stores, but being smarter about what retailers are doing with the space that they already own. So yeah, sure, that could mean closing stores outright, That, regardless 
of how retail is doing right now maybe just aren't performing anymore I mean, let's let's cut the dead weight let's cut the you know eh, pardon me for the gross reference but cut the rotting flesh off right like that's go away type thing it was just halloween so that's okay. yeah yeah exactly so but we've got examples <laughs> we got why don't you take us through these three examples um very good examples of major retailers that are cutting the dead weight and they're doing something different with the with the space they already have Sure. So let's start off with the more, more recent one uh, that was Hudson's Bay, right? We, we all heard that Hudson's Bay, the parent company to Lord & Taylor, uh, Hudson's Bay, as well as Saks Fifth Avenue and Guild Group, was selling off uh, one the flagship of its Lord & Taylor store, which is right in midtown Manhattan, right? So this is a 676,000 square foot store. Right, it's selling it off to WeWork. WeWork is a seven-year-old startup, right? Uh, office sharing model uh, that's reinvented the concept of workspace. This is a company seven years old, valued at twenty billion. <laughs> now, it's incredible, right? So, Hudson, Lord and Taylor is going to rent out about a quarter of the building. So, this story that we're talking about here isn't about everyone's heard about. Oh, yeah, the sale. Okay. In itself, it's big news, but we're going to take it a step further. Let's tie a couple of data points together. That's data point number one. Data point number two. Uh, earlier last month in October, Macy's st st struck a preliminary deal to sell the top half uh, of its 1.4 million square foot store at State uh, Street Flagship to a Canadian real estate investor and it plans to convert the space into office spaces. So it was going to sell floors 8 to 14, which were roughly 700,000 square feet and would keep keep the bottom floors 1 through 7, right? This is a historic store just like the Lord and Taylor store. This is actually the original Marshall Fields in downtown Chicago. Uh, beautiful building, Tiffany's windows, no different than Lord and Taylor building, beautiful building with a lot of incredible details. And how many okay, years this have is they had that? that like how long has it been that they've had that building are oh we my talking God. Uh, since the 20s 30s probably um yeah. I, I would have to look it up for you off the top of my head uh it's probably early 20th century roughly uh i, I couldn't give you an exact date yeah but uh if you have tiffany windows the tens maybe is it best yeah. guess but we could you, you could always look this up online mm-hmm uh, literally, Tiffany, Louis Comfort Tiffany window, a window inside, which is incredible. It just, it just shows the, the, the severity of these, the intensity of these moves. You know, these are yes. huge. I have a question for you after we get yeah. done. If you get done with the third one, but keep going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then, then, okay, let's tie the third data point and then we'll, we'll open up the, this conversation. And um, so it's not a monologue. <laughs> Tar Target opened. Uh, recently, 11 small format stores as part of its ongoing readjustment to br the brick and mortar strategy, right? So we gave you the square footage, Lord & Taylor, 676,000 square feet. Uh, Macy's selling off 700,000 square feet. The square footages of these stores that um, they're opening, Target, are going to be between 12 and 80,000 square feet smaller than their average 145,000 square 
food store, right? Yeah. So it, it's interesting, right? So what we're boutique-y. saying is, so yeah. <laughs> you got it. Exactly. They're going along with that little slang name, like you just said, the Target. Maybe they'll maybe they'll make Target. maybe they'll make you call. Maybe they make everyone call these Targets instead of Targets. The, the Targets will be the hundred forty-five thousand <laughs> square foot stores, and the little ones will be Targets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and they started at Target, yeah. and I think their first store, if I'm not mistaken, was in March of this year in Phoenix. That was their first store in this type of format. Hmm. Neat. But you, you were, you were going to say, Tom? So how does this – so going back to the Lord & Taylor one, do you – I guess I'm curious. Maybe you know since you've, 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 you're a professor and you've done the retail – thing for many many years now in terms of being able to explain the business models and the, and the mindset behind some of these some of these moves that we've seen in the past and i'm curious with this one here like what do you think happened with lord and taylor in this case do you think we work approached them or do you think it was the kind of thing where lord and taylor worked with you know building management at various locations and said hey we want to we want to you know trim the fat here a little bit find us someone to uh you know to to sign up for this office sharing model I think it was the other way around, very frankly. Uh, I, I think that, look, um, you think we were company, into that? yeah, or maybe it was put on the market, yeah, right? Meaning, let's think about this. Um, HBC, much like Federated, which owns Macy's, uh, is really they were built through acquisition, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they all grew organically and came together. No, actually, it was Hudson's Bay, which is the oldest retailer in North America, right? Goes back to fur trading based in Canada that uh, was purchased um, the first acquisition uh, by the owners, right? Then after that, the next piece to the puzzle um, was Lord & Taylor. The next piece was then Saks Fifth Avenue, um, if I'm not mistaken. I might reverse the order of the last two, but that, that that's generally – uh, the case, um, and then Guild Group was more more recent, right? So what do you what do you have? You have a lot of real estate, right? Saks in itself, uh, a few years ago, if we recall, was used. Um, w- they they took the value of it, um, and they used the money. They refinanced uh, part part of it on the market, and they didn't sell the space off. But what they did was they 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 used it as collateral to get a loan to keep the cash flow going for the company. And I think that that was what's happening with this Lord & Taylor, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like you sell it, you get cash flow for a changing retail environment, right? And so what's happening is the store isn't what it used to be. The store used to be a department store, used to be a place where if it, it was actually invented, the department store in the late 1800s in France. And it was a place of culture where people from the countryside that moved to the city because that's the beginning of urbanization in the modern Western world, where people move into a city, and it was a place where you saw beautiful things, food, uh, you saw things that you would not see. And it's the Industrial Revolution, right? That's what it, what it was really built for. So that's what's really happening. I think what we're really seeing is it was built for a different time, and we're in a different not- time as well. I mean, our lives are quick. Our lives are, um, we're always running around. And who has time to go through 14 stores of a Macy's, for example, in downtown Chicago right. when you just need to get home to pick up the kids and the reason you're stopping off is because you have an extra 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Hard. So it's a different lifestyle today. So the, the purpose for the, that particular building, let's say going back to your question, Lord and Taylor, was so different 
um, in, in its context that the way that we live today is a bit incongruous to the size of the store and yeah. it, you can't really support it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what I think we're seeing here is it's not all, you know, two out of three examples here, are, you know, quote unquote department stores ish. Um, but it's not just department stores, right? So we've got Target and we've got some specialty retailers like Coach that have adjusted their their store presence. And I mean, honestly, we could go, there are countless examples of retailers that are reformatting their stores just to, you know, whether it's closing some of the poor performing ones or if it's adjusting the way that they that they exist, whether it's renting space with another retailer, maybe a, mm-hmm. you know, a shared space model where one complements the other. I don't know of a good example of that though, but I've heard of this and I'm blanking right now. But um yeah, so there there's there's examples of that. I haven't seen many of those, but I know that's that's an existence that may be just for certain types of retailers. You don't see like a you know, you don't see a, a Lululemon or anything doing anything like that, but of course they're doing very well right now. Um Well yeah. you do have uh the shared model, right? Where right. you do have uh let's say brands within stores, like for example Saks, you'll find a lot of well known brands within their first floor. Or perhaps to your point, uh you'll find um FAO Schwartz within Bonton for the holiday season. True. Yep. So it's along the lines of what you're saying. Yeah. It's a good example. They're just being smarter. They're being smarter about the, the, the space that they're in. That's, that's pretty much the the way to sum it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because essentially if we think about AR, if we think about online, it's not about space. It's about a different continuum. It's about, Mm -hmm efficiency speed and convenience right which doesn't mean you need space for it i think you do need brick and mortar it's here to stay for sure we've always had that but it's just the way that we think about it today in the modern era is just different yeah it absolutely is uh let's move on to topic number three automation so uh more technical another more technical topic here but that's okay this one's kind of this one's kind of interesting and we've talked a lot about uh, in-store automation, so in-store robots, in-store experiences for uh, that some retailers are really jumping on the bandwagon for. In the case of Walmart, they're they're doing something similar uh, to this. And we've we've if you keep in mind some of the things we've talked about in previous episodes, if you haven't listened to, uh, there's an episode about the Lowe's the Lowe's bots, the Lo- what is it the the Lowe's robots? What is it called? I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, but there's there's robots. I know you're talking. I, I can't think. remember the name either. What's that? Yeah, I can't remember the name either, but you're yeah, you're yeah, right. something like that. I can't remember what they're called. But anyway, it's a lot of the major retailers are leveraging, uh, leveraging these in-store, you know, these in-store robots they're calling to to add intelligence to their, you know, to their presence in general, whether it's customer-facing or whether it's in the case of Walmart here, where they're using um, essentially a robot. It's a, it'll be a shelf-scanning inventory management robot. Nothing sexy, uh, to be honest with you. It looks kind of cool. Like when he's when the when the when the the robot looking thing, which looks just like a pole, almost like a square pole going up and down the, the <laughs> aisle. Um, it's not very human looking, but it's okay. It does its job, and essentially, it has an eye that scans shelves, and it just goes up and down aisles. I'm assuming kind of slowly, so it doesn't run any kids over, um, and it just kind of just goes up and down the aisles, scans the shelves, and and probably provides a more real time angle to. Um, to, you know, pricing, stock situations in stock, out of stock, um, you know, label accuracies, uh, and I'm sure shaves off some cost in terms of headcounts and, 
you know, hiring people to do just that, which can be automated. So yeah, unfortunately for many workers, automation is a thing and it's going to be more of a thing in retail, which means, you know, uh, people that may have done those automation uh, type jobs. So it could be shelving, whether it's shelving in a grocery store or shelving in a Walmart, you might be out of a job in a few years. So this is an interesting sure. way to, to look at it. I, I don't know what your angle is on this, Jose. We'll find out in a second. But um, it seems like this is just taking the repeatable things that humans do and turning it into something that's automated. I mean, simple yeah. as that, right? Exactly. But but he, he, here's the thing. I think it's a value add for human beings, right? So okay. um, it would free up, st- let's say, store associates to spend more time doing what they uh, – machine or robot can't uh-huh. do which is helping customers good point right mm-hmm. so that's the big value add right mm-hmm. because if you think about the, what they're doing the robots they're doing the mundane tasks of going down, up and down each aisle scanning for out-of-stock items looking for incorrect prices and um kind of looking for wrong or missing labels on right. products to your, your point where you said that the repeatable things but if you think of what human beings can do, it could be so much more. And I think that that is exactly what is missing in retail. So, which is, I mean, think of, I mean, we, and we, I think we've talked about this a few times before, which is, let's think of stores you and I or our listeners have gone into and had a great experience that was a human experience with a store associate. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like, kind of scratch our heads a little bit and kind of have to think <laughs> before we can um, come up with that story, right? But if you're really going to create, make stores important, because we've said they're important, you need to make sure that uh, the people in the store are helpful, right? That's and are able to service you. There you go. And that's, I think, remember, uh, I mean, places like Best Buy, they had a notorious reputation of, I mean, the in-store associates not being the most helpful, you know, and maybe that's the case with Walmart too. I don't think I go there enough to know, but I know that Mm -hmm. generally speaking in many stores like that, if someone is there stocking a shelf and if you're lucky enough to get someone stocking a shelf that actually understands the products that you're looking for or not just the location of it, but can, you know, help you out a little bit in whatever way it might be, then you're lucky. Because that hasn't isn't usually the case, but maybe that that's what <clears throat> that is what they're going for here, right? They're going for that better experience um, to free people up, like you're saying. Exactly. So uh, the bigger trend, uh, effectively, is that it's the little incremental things that you do across your supply chain that that help uh, make it better overall, yeah. right? And so the key is to be able to balance that both on the back end and the front end. And I think we're going to see more of this as time goes on. No doubt. No doubt. And it's creative. You know, Walmart in all ends is trying to, well, and successfully compete in uh, with a bunch of, uh, I guess, in the industry with a bunch of types of stores. So whether it's the specialty retailers, whether it's the grocery stores, or if it's um, uh, Amazon, which is the biggest target they have right now. And, you know, there's only so much you can do in terms of price competition. Although I did see an article recently about how Walmart is, I guess, within 3% of Amazon's prices. So, the price war is still a thing, but this kind of 
this 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 way that they're handling their their inventory management with a with a intelligent robot in this case that can speed and make make them more efficient at what they've been doing for a long time um, is going to help help set them apart eventually more than they are now from uh, from Amazon and some of those that really don't have much of a presence like this they may have their own backend robot technology that's automating things in Amazon warehouses but in the case of having the advantage that Walmart does with having customers walking down their aisles, they're going to want to push forward as fast as they can on some of these things that, that boost that advantage. Right. And that's what one of these things is here from a cost perspective, exactly. and from a, yeah, from a, from a customer, um, customer satisfaction perspective, all that is, is the kind of things they need to be focusing on. So this is cool stuff. Um, and you know, we'll have to see what else they, they put together in the, in the stores, but it seems like, honestly, Jose, it seems like everything, with Walmart, it's it's like once a quarter we get something like this from them. <laughs> it's a, They're becoming more like Amazon. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's great. It's great. We need more. So anyway, that was great, Jose. Um, that is the show. Well, it was fun. Uh, that was some fun topics there. Hopefully, we can get we yeah. can get two in the weeds on some of the sure. the techie stuff. But I think it's you know I think it's good for everyone that listens. And in our case, many of our listeners are in retail and maybe aren't involved in much of the tech but you know we enjoy the tech side of things and we get a little geeky with stuff sometimes and it's a lot of fun right yeah excellent well that's the show thank you everybody for listening if you have questions comments feedback email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com if you have a cool story or if you are at a retailer and you want to tell us about something that you're doing or if you're a new retailer um and for example we're going to be speaking to a new um a uh, new retailer in the next week or so who is essentially in the in the wearables fashion technology area so this is some cool stuff and we're gonna that's all we're gonna say but um we're very excited to be speaking to this company in in about a week and we'll have more on that if you follow us on twitter at brick Datacast, you'll hear more about that uh, you can also find us on itunes google play and stitcher and wherever you listen to your podcasts and until next time take care everyone and uh, jose have a good one man you too. Bye, everyone.